This is Sporting Max with Max Becker on SEN. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Sporting Max on 1116 SEN. <clears throat> this is your Sunday morning feed. Um, I'd like to welcome to the show um, this week, uh, sorry, AFL and North Melbourne Kangaroos legend, Corey McKernan. Corey, it's an absolute honour to have you on, mate. How are you going? No, that's all right. I've been, you know, I've been a big fan for a long time, Maxie. So um, ah. we finally, finally, we finally speak. We've finally, finally been able to get on. We've been trying to organise this almost a year now, I think. Well, um, it's not as if much has happened during that time, Max. It yeah. might have been a little bit that's been happening, This maybe this thing called COVID, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, now, Corey, I'd like to sort of start off with sort of your childhood and what growing up, um, I guess, was like for you? Uh, for me, well, yeah, I, I probably, I was a mad Collingwood supporter as a kid. Um, had fond memories of going to Victoria Park, which, Maxie, that's a, a long, long time. Yeah. Probably, uh, <laughs> you, you would never have got to... Um, no, had, no. Or never had the experience of going to Victoria, Victoria Park, but... You know what? I'm actually really glad that I did get to go to Victoria Park, and it's probably something that even you, as a, I mean, you're a lot younger than me, and yeah, yeah. to be able to go to places like Collingwood, you know, I mean, seeing the black and white stripes at the at the Sharon Stand end, and yeah. you know, I mean, I, I remember even at uh, at half time, like I used to get taken by my auntie and uncle to go to watch the Pies play, and then what we do it just before half time, we go and collect cans and. Um, we'd get the money from the cans and buy the hot donuts and yeah, yeah. <laughs> always buy, always your know, word of advice. You, you always learn that lesson, Max. You always, when you bite into a hot jam donut and it ends up on your chin, you never forget it, do you? Yeah. So, no, it's always burns. But no, that was, it was, um, yeah, to be able to, you know, I mean, like every kid, you take a, a, a take a footy to the footy and then have a yeah. kick and. Yeah. I mean, then you'd go on the ground after the game and then you were trying to imagine how you'd end up kicking yeah. as far as what they did. And thankfully, one day I did. Yeah. <laughs> um. So what was junior football like for you? Uh, junior football, we'll see. Mine was a little bit of an in interesting journey, Max, because I played football from when I was about five or six years old. Oh. And then I um, went through to about 11 or 12 and then I stopped. I, uh, I started playing golf. Yeah. Uh, so I had dreams of uh, maybe not going on the MCG, but I had dreams of maybe going to Augusta National. And my childhood idol was uh, someone called Greg Norman. So uh, the Great White Shark was, I mean, firmly took over my uh, idol status. And yeah, I, I, in the end, I, I played golf really from when I was 12 till I was about 17. And it was only because Dennis Pagan, came out came out to our, our house and he annoyed the hell out of me, Max. He, it'd be like um, someone continually coming out your house and asking you to come down and play. And I used to say yeah. I was not interested, but in the end, he, yeah. um, well, thankfully, um, look, I, I mean, I would have liked to think I still would have been a pretty good golfer, but um, I'm pretty sure we ended up making the right choice. So during those years of golf, did you still, you know, try and keep up your footy skills? Well, yeah. The, well, I was I was pretty smart, Max, because what I did remember during that time you got school footy. So yeah, um, yeah. that was how North Melbourne knew about um, Corey McKernan during those years. And whilst I wasn't playing local footy for West Meadows, and I played at 
uh, West Meadows, the same football club as Dane yep. Swan. Um, so it's Swanee and I are yep. probably the two most famous players to come out of West Meadows. And um, yeah, it was only because they they uh, ran all the school football in our in our zone, and um, that I mean they knew about me and. And even better, Max, it got me a day off. It got, like, <laughs> yeah, it, it day got off me a day school. off of school. Yeah. And um, no, it was, look, it was good. So, yeah. So what about the evolution of AFL football? I mean, obviously when you started, um, it wasn't a full-time professional sport. So what's that like, um, especially after, um, you know, once you've completed school, how you got to manage um, sort of work and football? Well, ours was a little bit unique because we we were the real first ones that it crossed over. That we went from um, it was in that right in that middle phase, and I think when eventually people at our club probably and then the AFL. I know at my club I saw people like Wayne Carey, um, which Wayne Carey's never had a real job in his life. Let's face it. <laughs> um, but no, look when we, when I saw look there was Wayne at our club, and I think the money at around that time really started to go upward that you could treat it like a full-time job. But having said that, my word of advice, I think, um, I think the AFL will end up going back to the future a little bit. I think, uh, and it's not only good for your balance, it's as much as I've seen you do great things in this space. And eventually one day I'm going to say that I was interviewed by Max as <laughs> when I was, when he was an up and coming. But, but I think, um, Look, yep, I, I think my on. advice. Yeah, I, I think I think my advice to AFL players is to have that balance and have a passion outside of your game. You know, I mean, so outside of your sport, so it gives you an equal um, an equal amount of energy you can put into it that you haven't got all your eggs in one basket. And quite funnily, I always found that when I put all my eggs in one basket and was footy, 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 twenty four seven, I went that was the worst worst I'd go. Yep. I always found that if I was working outside of football, um, I was passionate about events. Um, if I was playing games of golf during the week um, and even a little bit of charity work, I found when I had that real good balance, well, that's when I usually played my best football. So when you're sort of out, out and about in the community, um, what does that sort of, uh, I guess, initiative sort of, um, I guess, or confidence give you um, to be known and get a good name to yourself in the community? Um, oh, look, I think there's two parts to that. I think um, I was very fortunate when I was playing football, as I mentioned, I um, became really good mates with Dave Rogers from Challenge, um, which is kids with cancer. Yeah. So there was over a number of years, probably not in the early part of my career, I only discovered really Challenge. And it's, again, something I'm thankful of Wayne Carey. I think he might have introduced me to Dave Rogers way back when. And I became mates with Dave and even going into hospital and seeing some kids in there that were doing it tough, it really put football into perspective. Um, so that, yeah, like it, it made it really interesting from, from that point of view, um, your thoughts on football and what you're doing uh, that, yeah, just, just to go into hospital and see someone else that was doing it um, a lot harder than you were, it really put things in, into perspective. Um, so you mentioned before Dennis Pagan um, coming to your house, um, you know, as that sort of 16, 17, 18 year old um, trying to annoy you and recruit you to come to North Melbourne. When was that moment when you finally went, you know what, I'm, I'm going to come and give this a go? <laughs> well, I didn't really. I, 
I think what happened, Max, is that when you go down and, and Dennis used to come out to my house and he, not that you know this particular type of car, but there's a lot of people out there would know it. He had a silver Camira. I'll yeah. never, never forget yeah. it. And he used to come out to my house and in the end he said, listen, just come down on Thursday night. Um, you don't have to train on the Tuesday, which was something that he never, ever did with a lot of other players. And on the Saturday we played at Arden Street and... Um, I, I went down and, and kicked 11 goals in my first game. So <laughs> I think the decision, Max, might have been made for me by the yeah. way I played. But those first couple of years, I didn't really take footy seriously. Yeah. Like, I, I was still pretty keen on golf in the first year or so. And it probably wasn't until the end of the, the first year being on the senior list that I sort of went, hang on, I think I might be okay at this if I actually train a bit harder and it's quite interesting. Mark Roberts, again, a lot of people out there know Mark Roberts and they used to call him the fridge. Now, um, you probably, a lot of people out there don't associate Mark Roberts in terms of the way he looked after himself and obviously being called the fridge is probably not the best nickname, Max. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it was only, I think at the end of the particular season, I started training with Mark Roberts and Mark Roberts was, believe it or not, I know people might fall off their chair, but he was actually really good at training and things like that. So he sort of took me under his wing a little bit and it really just snowballed from there. And there's no player um, over the history of the game, unless you put in the work in the off-season and have really great pre-seasons, are you going to succeed? It's no different to the preparation you do when you put into your podcast and your questions and things like that. If you put the preparation in, you get the right result. Um, so can you talk to me a bit about your first year and make building sort of um, relationships as a club and settling in? Yeah, well, the, it's those first few years um, are always a little bit daunting. I, I do love telling the funny story, Max, that I think it was after the first, my, my first or second year that we happened to go to Bali on the footy trip. And um, you're very gullible at that point, Max. You, yeah, you tend yeah. to believe anything when you're a young player and when, Senior players tell you things. You like to believe that everything they say is true. So one particular night, Wayne Carey had uh, had a few too many drinks. Oh, and, no. Uh, I oh, no. Up, I ended up walking Wayne back to his room. And um, Wayne ended up saying to me, he actually said to me, he goes, oh, you know, do you know who my cousin is? And again, I'm only 19 or 20 years old, Max. So I'm not really very young and naive and probably not real smart at this point. And... Um, Wayne has actually said, he goes, do you know who my cousin is? It's actually Mariah, like meaning Mariah Carey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I remember going to bed that night thinking, holy crap, Wayne Carey's cousin is actually Mariah Carey. So <laughs> it just goes to show when you when you first come into a football club, I know there'd be a lot of footballers out there that have uh, probably silly stories where senior players would definitely take advantage of you. But that's all a part of coming into an AFL club, I think sometimes a bit of uh that that banter and and that sort of thing it's actually good because there'll be a lot of young players that come into the system nowadays that they've come out of the tac cup they've seen their names on the tv they start to probably get ahead of themselves ahead of themselves a little bit yeah so i think every yeah. now and again just to to make you understand where you sit in the pecking order is actually a good thing so do you have, do you sort of remember your AFL debut? I mean, it was nineteen ninety three, I think, it was against St Kilda, around seventeen approximately. Yeah, I think. Look, it was a bit of a blur. Um, I remember it was a Friday night game at the MCG. It was pretty muddy, and look, the just a bit of a backstory for me to get there. 
I'd ruptured my appendix on Australia Day in 1993. Um, oh. So when oh. you rupture, rupture your appendix, and I distinctly remember it, Max, because I was meant to go and see Guns N' Roses at Calder Park. <laughs> so I had tickets to go and see Guns N' Roses. And instead of seeing Guns N' Roses, I was in uh, Vimy House. And I think that preceding pre-season, I'd put on 10 kilos. So I was probably the biggest I'd ever been. And um, within the space of five days, I'd lost 15 kilos. So all my wow. pre-season went out the window. So it was actually a pretty good effort. I think it was later in the year, that particular year, I worked pretty hard, got back in. But it probably really wasn't until I had a taste of it in 1993. We had a lot of good players at that time, a lot of big, tall players. like We had Alex Ashenko, John Longway, Wayne Carey, Peter Mann at that point. And I remember I was emergency something like 10 or 11 times in 1993. And uh, I remember going into 1994, I said, right, um, they always used to say to me, oh, we've got big players and I'd always be emergency. And I made my mind up going into 1994, I said, right, I'm going to become that good that you have to play me. I don't care what anyone else does, you have to play me. And it's a good mentality for anyone, any young player. Don't worry about what other people are doing. If you control your own destiny and you... Again, you prepare and you do all the right things, you do the extras. Well, you're going to give yourself the best opportunity to be successful. So what's that like to play in your career um, with guys like, uh, uh, sorry, John Longmire, um, you know, Dean Lee and um, Wayne Carey? Well, look, we're very lucky at North Melbourne. One of the one of the things I would always say about Wayne Carey, and people always ask me what Wayne's like, um, but in in terms of, I'll give you two answers. Like from an off-field um, point of view, yes, we all know that Wayne's uh, had a few missteps in life. But one thing he's always been great with, Max, and you probably appreciate this and you deal with a lot of people when you're on your podcast like we're talking yeah. now. Yeah. Wayne has always been fantastic. If you walked up to him and um, you said, Wayne, can I have your autograph? He, I've yeah. never seen Wayne Carey not, sign someone's autograph if they've walked yeah. up and been polite and i mean ever and i've been wow. Wow. i've been out at places when it's been really busy because and again that was probably something that i've always tried to do as well if people come up and they're nice and whatever doesn't matter where it is it doesn't hurt just to sign it and it's done um but that's the off-field side of it but then i'd say the on-field side of it with wayne what the part that they didn't see was how great he was at preparing for games of football and this is a common theme for the wayne carries probably the dustin martins overseas you're talking about michael jordan tom brady these sorts of guys people don't see how relentless they are in their preparation like i mean if everyone else does this for training meaning that's the, the like level. just a, a standard level of training well then they go and do everything else away from the club or people that don't see like for Wayne Care, it was an extra swim or it was an extra bike ride or it was an extra skill session. So it was always about doing extras. And that was, that was the great thing that he left on me. And I said, I've said to Wayne this, I go, I wouldn't have become the player that I'd hopefully become where I, I prided myself playing on well in big finals and things like that, because mm. that's, that's what Wayne did. So he was the standard that we all tried to, I think, get to as a player and, and, and a performance level. All right. So we're going to go to a quick break, and then we'll get back on the other side with Corey McKernan to have a chat about a couple of awards and some premierships. 
and welcome back from the outbreak, Corey McKernan, um, North Melbourne and AFL legend. Um, so, Corey, I want to sort of get stuck into um, the Rising Star Award. Um, you got the most votes um, in that year. I think it was, might have been 1994, but you had a suspension um, earlier in the year. Um, what was that suspension sort of of um, and what did it kind of mean to you to be recognised um, as one of the best young players in the league? Yeah, it didn't... Um... Look, I, I think because I, I got suspended, and in the end it was... Um, I did mention before, Max, that Greg Norman was one of my idols as a as a, a, um, a golfer growing up. And if you know a little bit about Greg Norman, Greg Norman found new ways to lose lose um, major major championships. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think in the end, that would be that would be me, Max, I think a little bit, because I... I lost the rising star. I think I got done for tripping by hand. And then the following year, they got rid of, you couldn't get suspended by tripping by hand. And to answer your question, look, yeah, the rising star, look, that particular year, for me, I was still trying to find a place in the senior team. So, and we were playing finals that year. For, for those that remember, like we went pretty deep into the finals. So to be able to, like, I think I played 23 or 24 games in that year. So I was still focused on, trying to cement my place in the team. Like the rising star would have been a bonus. Would have been a nice bonus, Max, because it was ten or fifteen thousand dollars. But um Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, look it's um I, I I know it's probably something you're gonna to allude to anyway, but as far as I mean winning those sorts of awards, I would still um take playing well in finals and winning premierships over those individual awards anyway. I mean a lot of everyone talks about um, you know, the um, MVPs and Brownlee medals and things like that don't mean anything if you're not winning championships or premierships. Um, but surely it's got to mean something um, to, you know, when you've put in all that hard work over the season. Yeah, I think it did. Like, I, I think for me, and I'm not just saying it because I won it, um, the, the MVP for me, and it also is pretty special for me as well, and I had a great moment when they renamed the MVP, the Lee Matthews Trophy. Yeah. And as I mentioned off the top, I was a Collingwood supporter as a kid and Darren Mullane was my hero. Um, and I was fortunate enough to sit next to um, uh, Darren's mum, uh, Denise, and his brother, um, Sean. And, and that was actually a great moment for me. So to be able to do little things like that, that's where you pinch yourself, Max, that you actually in certain moments you actually forget hang on i actually did play the same game as my idols and i don't know i think a lot of players would go through that that i was very fortunate enough to win the afl mvp but when you see the names on that trophy look the great thing about the mvp it's voted for by your peers yeah as opposed to the the brownlow medal the brownlow medal is voted for by the umpires but to win the afl mvp it's uh i think yeah, it's up yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so what's it like um, in 1996? Um, you know, you mentioned before um, taking your game to a greater level um, on the field and off the field um, to make sure that selectors, um, you know, can't keep you out of that side and they have to have you playing each game. Um, you became sort of a more dominant ruckman and forward um, uh, for the Kangaroos and um, the team. How did you view... Um, your personal role or position in the team at the time? Um, I don't know. Like it, it, it was probably just a, a, as you mentioned, it was a constant state of evolution. That 
like 90 by the time I got to 1996 I think that was my third year and it was really those first two years where I found my feet um to answer your question it, it was funny like I never when I look back at it even though I did win the AFL MVP I, ne- I don't think anyone ever sees himself on the same level as Wayne Carey but <laughs> there were certain games I remember and I've said this to a few people when we were what when Wayne and I were walking to the forward line in that little period. I, I do distinctly remember a couple of times thinking then that there's no way that they're going to be able to beat us. Like yeah. it's a good, it's a great <laughs> feeling to have that you walk down to center half forward or you walk down to the forward line and they either get their best two defenders, but we know that we've actually got them covered. So, um, but yeah, look, it was a special time at North Melbourne to be able to play we played in seven straight prelim finals. Um, I know, a, I reckon a par mark or a pass mark for us, I reckon we underachieved by one flag. I reckon we should have won maybe three flags, but conjecture's up there too. I know a lot of people say about 1999 with Essendon not getting through, but we, I can only judge it on where I thought what we should have done. Um, I always felt that for that particular team and being that consistent, making seven straight prelims in a row, we should have, I reckon we should have won at least three grand finals during that period. So when you're sitting there at the Brownlow medal table, um, watching all the pollen get done, what's your reaction when you see, you know, your top equal for votes? Well, Max, so you wouldn't remember it, but I was actually sitting yeah, yeah. at home. <laughs> um, oh, so I was sitting. Wow. So I was sitting at home, I'd, I'd hurt my knee in the prelim final and I was actually sitting at home, icing up my knee. And that 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 part I can still remember to this day is actually, it is, to, to answer your question, it is very surreal when you sit there and you're watching something on TV, you're sitting at home and you're the center of attention on something, something yeah. on the TV. But look, I, I would not trade anything in the world. Um, I was only 22 years old at that point. Wow. And... I, as I mentioned, I hurt my knee in the prelim final. I was potentially not going to play in the grand final. I had about, on the Wednesday after the Brownlow, I had about 50 or 60 mils of blood drained out of my knee on the Wednesday. Um, So to be 22 years old, have the Brownlow medal, have my knee, to go into the grand final, and I still came out and I had 31 possessions playing in the ruck and up forward in the grand final. I wouldn't trade that for anything in the world. Like I, I pretty much had the entire world thrown at me and yet still managed to come out on grand final day and, and play really, really well. So what was that grand final and sort of finals experience like for you? Um, yeah, look, I, I'm just thinking back, like you, you have different memories about different parts of the game. Um, I think the overriding thing was, yeah, that the Swans got off to such a great start. And uh, I know over the journey, I sometimes get into trouble with Troy Luff about saying this, but when you go into the grand final and you're doing all your planning and that they had superstars like Paul Kelly and Tony Lockett and, you yeah. know, and these sorts of guys, yeah. right, real match winners. And you're going into the game, and you're going, well, they're the guys that are going to get a hold of us. Now in the first quarter, I think Troy Luff had kicked two goals. I remember walking in at quarter time going, holy shit, we're actually not going to get beaten by Plugger or Troy Luff, uh, sorry, or, or Paul Kelly. We're going to get beaten by Troy Luff. Um, but look, fortunately, I think we just wore them down in the end um, when we had so many match winners across the ground. Like, as much as I'm, I'm very 
proud about the way I handled the whole week and played well, but Glenn Archer played really well. Anthony Rock played really well. Wayne Swass played really well. Or even Wayne Carey. He didn't kick a lot, like a lot of goals, but he, you know, I mean, it just means if you can get on grand final day, not only everyone has their moment and never a true word spoken that every, if you look at the teams that winning and losing in the grand final, I reckon you can trace it back to the team that wins. It'll be each guy will have their one moment in the grand final and it might be a smother. It might be your chance to kick a goal and you'll find the team that wins are the ones that take the moments. And in our case, it was probably a guy like Glenn, Glenn Freeborn. He kicked three goals in the second quarter. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he kicked, he, he could kick three points, but he kicked three goals. So when that final siren goes, what emotions um, are going through your body? Well, I think we won two grand finals and they're both distinctly, um, well, they're both vastly different. I think 1996 was like just a sheer emotion, like a, an outpouring of emotion and all, everything rolled out like a, and just an explosion of emotion. But whereas I think 1999, because we lost in 1998 and we lost in such a bad way um, where we were up by a fair bit, we didn't kick straight. So it's all the coulda, shoulda, woulda type conversation that you have in 1998. And 1999, I think after when the siren went, it was more of a sense of relief. Like you're still really happy, but to compare the two, um, I, I still love the fact that we won 1999, but 96 was... Yeah. The, the sheer emotion for the first time because it's the unknown. You don't know how to behave or, or to react. And because it was your first one, we, you go totally crazy. Um, so what's that like? Um, and especially the after party and things like that um, of an AFL grand final. Yeah, again, it just turns into a bit of a blur. Um, I, I think the only thing I'm really jealous about now, what the guys seem to do, they stay at the MCG for such a long time. And that's the thing that, we, I think we did the world's quickest victory lap, and I don't know why wow. we did it to this day, yeah. but um, that's that's one thing I, I think I'm jealous of what the current players do, is that they seem, they take their time on the lap, they get changed, and then they come back out in the ground again. I think Hawthorne were maybe the first team to do that. I reckon it's a great idea where you can just, it's one of the few times ever you could have reunions and everything like that, but that moment that, that those teams create in the middle of the ground when it's just the players and the coach, that's the only thing I'm probably jealous yeah. about now. I would have loved to yeah. have had that moment where we all stood in the circle and to go around. And I think what the players do now, they all share and say what it means to them to be a premiership player and to do it in an empty MCG when it's a little bit dark and you've probably had five or six too many beers Max, by that mm-hmm. point, um, <laughs> that that would be a great moment that I'd be, I'd love to experience that. Um, you watch Matthew Burton um, come through from Fremantle um, with premiership experience. Um, what was it like for you, um, you know, to get up forward more and um, not be so much more of a dominant ruck? Yeah, I, it was funny. Like, I think the way that I used to play, I used to like going to have a run around in the ruck and then I could go forward. Um, but again, it, it was a little bit of horses for courses. It was whatever role that they'd need me, need me to fulfill. And um, But it's always good if you're up forward. Forward's great, Max, if you're up there kicking goals. And if you're not yeah. kicking goals, it's not a good yeah. place to be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I mean, you kicked eight goals 
um, a career high of goals against Geelong one day. I can't exactly remember what day or um, year it was, but what's it, do you remember that? Yeah, look, I, I know I kicked eight. Someone had sent me the highlights not long ago. I think a few of them, I know everyone can say this, Max, but I, I know a few of them were pretty lucky free kicks. Um, but having said that, you're still going to kick the goals. Look, I've had, I've had games, and this is a fight again, um, I remember, even, I, I think this is Wayne Carey's brother actually said this, um, Dick, and I remember of all places, it was at a nightclub, and it was after one of my first games when I had played really well. And I reckon this comment held me in good stead. And even you could have a game where you kicked eight goals, but I don't think you could have played that well. And I remember Dick Carey said that to me. He said, you know, he go, Corsa, he goes, only you know whether you played really well or not. And I think there's never a true word said that you knowing yourself, your games, like you could have a game, as you've mentioned, Max, that you've kicked eight goals. And yeah. never, don't get me yeah. wrong, kicking eight goals is great. But... I could have had games where I played in the ruck, I rucked really well, maybe didn't kick as many goals, but might have, might have taken 10 or 12 marks. You know what I yeah. mean? So and you want one or you get out to your team. Yeah, and sometimes people don't see that from the outside. So I think, um, yeah, I, that's my advice to any player. At the end of the day, you're the one who knows how you've gone. Like, Don't worry about the people from the outside with the backslappers and the media and things like that. It's only you and then the other one that's obviously going to be important is your coaches. They're the ones that are going to know whether you play well or not. All right, we'll get to another quick break. Get back on the other side shortly with Corey McKernan. Welcome back once again from the break, Corey. I want to get into um, sort of, you know, when you got traded to Carlton, um, what was your reaction to that and um, how did you find selling in there? Uh, well, I'm the one who drove the trade. Um, it, it got to a point... And look, even at the time, and I've, this has not changed over time, like my relationship with, with Dennis and, and me playing the most consistent footy wasn't really good. And I'd made up my mind. That, look, and the best way to put it, it's um, like anyone out there that's got a boss that they don't get along with. And that's, that's all it came down with. It's not as if I didn't hate Dennis or anything like that. There was nothing untoward in terms of uh, how I felt about him. It was just, a, it, it wasn't it wasn't working. So I'm the one who drove the trade and went to Carlton. And um, yeah, in that first year, it was a little bit different uh, being at Carlton. Like I think in the first five or six games at that point, that was, that was the first real point where Carlton first started losing. So for a proud club like Carlton, not like now where they've had the last mm-hmm. sort of 18 to 20 years where it hasn't been a good period, for the first time in their history, by the way. Yeah. And um, <laughs> yeah, it was an interesting time to be at Carlton. But look, again, it was through adversity of actually being at Carlton that, um, look, early days, the supporters gave me a fair bit of stick. Um, but then after that, I you know, I, mean, I dug, my, dug my heels in and came back and, and won the best and fairest, which was great. Cause from, and look, I'm actually, when I'm up here, it's, scarily max it's actually been 20 years since i won the best and fairest at carlton wow. i'm actually i'm living in wow. queensland now and um i'm actually going to make a point to go and catch up with wayne Britton um because he lives in queensland and look i know that uh brits in terms of his coaching record is probably not going to be remembered as one of the great afl coaches but for me personally in terms of how he stuck up for me and how he stuck by me in that year is something that i've never forgotten and um I wouldn't have been able to win that best and fairest if he didn't 
believe in me and stick by me. So, so how important is um, a coach's support? Just how important is a coach generally um, in an AFL player's life? Oh, look, Max, I think you can make a case for either. I think sometimes you can make a case that it's not that important and then other times you can. And look, mate, look, I think in my case, I just wanted to be able to feel like you, you maybe you're being trusted. Um, and, and that can mean anything for any player. But I know how I was someone who liked to, yes, as much as I was serious in the way I prepared for my games of footy, but also I liked having fun. Like it was, yeah. if, if yeah. anything's not fun, same as you do on the podcast and yeah. you talking to guests and whatever, if it's not enjoyable, you, you don't like doing it. And um, that was, that was something that um, I always tried to, to get back to, but it's something that if you can have that blend, I'm sort of jealous of some of the environment, the environments I see in the AFL from the outside at the moment. It seems like Richmond and what they've got at the moment in terms of, that environment they've they've got and the people they've got in and around the club and the way that they go about it, it looks like a great environment that I would have thrived in. Um, so you mentioned that best and fairest. What was that like? Um, you know, I think it might have been your first or second season at the club. I mean, you only played two seasons there, but what's it like to get the support of your teammates um, and all the coaches around you? Yeah, look, I think for me, teammates and family were great but i think it it was a really good one in terms of um yeah just getting the respect of the carlton people i, I think when when i'd come over there um is obviously it was a high profile move for them to go and get someone like me they lost someone like mark porter that was the um wasn't the world's he knows it i'd probably say this he's yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a very hard worker ports and the way he goes about it very pl- blue collar type player they've lost him and um, to be able to, I think, win them back with the way I performed, that was that was a really cool thing, like in terms of a big club like Carlton going there um, and eventually winning the fans over by winning the, the John Nichols medal. It's, um, yeah, for me, it was a badge of honour in, in adversity because early days it wasn't going that good, Max, and uh, to be able to come back in the end and, and perform like I did, I'm... I'm forever proud of being able to went through a bit of hell at the start but it just goes to show if you keep working your ass off and keep doing the right thing um, eventually it's going to turn for you how did you find your time at Carlton I mean in an obviously tough period of time um, at the club uh, oh look like I said early days was was pretty tough because at, at that point they weren't u- used to losing um mm-hmm. So, yeah, look, it, it'd be great for Carlton, uh, for any... I, I like to see any club that have been down there for a bit. Look, the one saving grace for all those Blues, blues fans out there, you have got 16 premierships, so you haven't yeah. been really <laughs> doing it that tough. Try and talk to a St Kilda fan or a Fremantle fan or... You know what I mean? Look, it, it would be great to see the Blues come back. And, and we all... Look, we all love big games of footy, but I think... For those that have lived in Melbourne, as I have, I don't live there anymore, but I go back there very regularly from Queensland. There is nothing better than being at the MCG, Carlton Collingwood, Carlton Essendon, 85, 90,000 people at the MCG. They're the games we want to see. So mm-hmm. I think if the AFL had their crystal ball, Max, I think it would include 
Imagine the top four was Carlton, Collingwood, Essendon, Richmond. Imagine yeah. that was your top four. <laughs> the AFL wouldn't <laughs> they'd be they'd be dreaming of that sort of scenario. Yeah, exactly. Um, so after two years with Carlton, I mean, you decided to come back to the Kangaroos. Um, why did you come back for your last year in the AFL? Um, oh, look, truth be known, and I've said this on the record before, I should have I should have retired when I left Carlton. I, I think it took that much out of me mentally when I had the year back with Dennis, and it was it sort of revived all those old memories. Um, for someone who'd left and then gone and won the best and fairest, and then have to deal with that all all again. Like I said, I'm I'm cool with Dennis and got a real I've got a great relationship with him now. But it really did take a lot out of me mentally. Um, I don't think in football nowadays people understand the gravity of how mentally challenging playing the game is, and I I, I don't even now with the scrutiny that all the current day players go go through in terms of. Yeah, I mean, you think about it, social media and all these things. And then I remember Dennis Pagan saying to us, and you might be able to look up this stat, Max. This might be one for you. But I remember around 2000, 2001, I remember Dennis Pagan saying that there was something like 800 accredited AFL media, right? This Mm -hmm. is in 2000, Mm -hmm. 2001. There were only two or 300 people accredited in Canberra following federal politics and the prime minister. So that shows you the level of scrutiny. That was 20 years ago. So I can't Mm -hmm. even imagine now. And look, it's something that with what I do now, I do an organization called Walk With Me. And it's very big on physical and and mental fitness. um, That it's something as high people in high profile positions, especially in sport, you just got to be really conscious of not being caught in the bubble that's you know, I mean, professional sport or any high-performance sport, you've got to give yourself breaks. And I'm, I, it's something that I'm really passionate about. You know why? Because I went through that myself. You know I mean, and if it's something that I can help other people out, well, um, yeah, it'll be very, very fulfilling. Um, so now I want to start talking about sort of post-career. Um, and like you just mentioned, Walk With Me. Um, what was the aim of, um, I guess, Walk With Me and Walk With Me Online now sort of developed um, through COVID at the start? Well, the the funny thing is, Max, it's probably, as we mentioned, like you do the podcast because you've probably, you know, I mean, been very passionate about talking to people and got a passion for getting in the media. Um, I created that at the start of the pandemic. So it also goes to prove to everyone out there that a lot of the best things are created in the hardest times. I think that's maybe a common theme of what I'm talking about a little bit, but Unfortunately, I saw a headline in the Australian newspaper that the suicide toll was going to outstrip the coronavirus toll. So wow. then I thought, what can I do? Like, what can I actually do myself? And then I come up with the idea, no different to what we're doing now, Maxie, in terms of I thought, well, hang on, can I do a just a walk and talk with people? So we get out, I can take people for a walk to share ideas. I wanted, I wanted people who came on the walk where we lift the mood. We didn't want to get people. We didn't want to get people on there. And if people, anyone out there, is of course struggling from a mental point of view, go and see your doctor or a professional. But what we were trying to do is, how can we get on there and talk about like really good habits? Like, or I'd interview Wayne Carey, or I get Mark Roberts, or I get James Hurd, or I get these people on there, because at least uh, people then hear ideas that other people have been through it 
But then they go, well, hang on, Wayne Carey's been through it, but hang on, he did this, this, and this to get out of it. So it, that's where it sort of evolved from. And it's something that I'm, as, as I mentioned before, very, very passionate about it. Um, I'm big on any situation about being prevention. And if we give people ideas that help them better with their physical and mental fitness, well, you know, when people won't get into strife again in that, in that space. Um, now, I want to sort of get into Corey McKernan, um, Ultimate event, Events. Um, you mentioned earlier um, when we sort of spoke about your passion during uh, your career for sports, entertainment and events and things like that. When did you sort of push and sort of drive um, to get this company up and about? Yeah, well, it would have stemmed back from probably two or three years out uh, before I retired and I saw what, um, and again, you might be too young, Max, but Craig Kelly that played at uh, Collingwood and he did have elite sports properties and now it's called TLA. So I saw what Craig Kelly had done post-football and I thought, well, hang on, I actually want to do something that I'm passionate about. And even at that point when elite sports properties looked after me, now TLA, um, Ned Craig Kelly said to me, he goes, oh, look, if you want to come in, you can do work experience. And I'd recommend that to anyone. If you think you're really passionate about what you do, go and do work experience in somewhere to find out that you love it because you're better off finding out then than down the track. So Ned just said, he goes, look, come in. And and the and the really cool thing is now at that time, and we all, I, everyone sees him on the TV now, I actually worked every day with Hamish McLaughlin. So Hamish McLaughlin was working in an elite sports properties. Um, it was quite funny because Hamish used to um, do the commentary on the, the polo, on the horses. And it was quite funny the way that that was his start to get into Channel 7 because everyone saw him call, uh, call he's had the way he used to call the polo. The way he used to call the polo was like how he used to um, listening to Dennis Cometti. And he used to yeah. do all those Dennis Cometti. <laughs> so look, I was very lucky to work in at ASP, worked in there for two or three years whilst I was still playing football. And then then once I finished playing, um, yeah, I got out of there. I actually started, um, I had a pub in North Melbourne for 10 years. Um, I was lucky with that. But again, with all those, Max, I, again, I was very, if you put the work in and, and you know, I mean, you're passionate about them, um, yeah, you get the results. Um, so what was this sort of business about? Um, and, you know, what, what did you sort of initially do? Uh, well, the first one, we had the pub, um, which was always an interesting journey. Um, anyone that gets a pub, I think, goes in. If you, my word of advice, if, you want, if you're going to go into any hospitality, and especially I feel for everyone in hospitality nowadays, but don't. Um, get sucked into the notion that you're going to get a pub and it's going to be a cool thing and have my mates in there and drink beers. If you're going to treat it as an actual business, you're probably half a chance. It's not going to be mean you'll be successful. You got to treat it like a job, like anyone else's job. And I think that's sometimes the biggest uh, um, misnomer a little bit. I think everyone sees a pub and, and gets seduced by the i think the sexy side of it oh yeah i can go and have a beer and i have a mates and shout them yeah yeah but then out of doing that eventually then i um i i saw you know i mean i i wanted to do tours and and then started doing tours the u.s masters i did the u.s masters i think for 11 years 
Wow. So I went to the US Masters for 11 years and then I went to the Super Bowl, I think six or seven years in a row. So, but again, there, look, I think the overriding thing with the, the three sort of, whether it's been the pubs or whether it's been the tours, my overriding thing, and that's what I've gotten back to now with what I do with Walk With Me is that one of my key drivers is I love helping people. And, and for me, one of the best things of when I took people to the Masters or the Super Bowl was I love seeing their reactions when they've come back from Augusta National. You know, I mean, when they've come back from the golf mm. course, they've seen mm. it from the first time, you're actually delivering that. You know, I mean, it's such a buzz for me to be able to see the reactions of something you've delivered for them. And that was that was always a key driver for me. And it was very fulfilling from that point of view. Um, so now you're the co-founder of the Reset Thrive. Um, are you able, can you tell me a bit about this? Uh, well, hang on. Yeah. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah. I'm not really doing. Do you want to cut that one out? Yeah, I'll be, I'll be able to cut that out. Have you got me? Can you hear me? Yeah. 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 yeah all right. Perfect. Do you want me to repeat the question? Yeah. All right, perfect. Yep. Um, now, Corey. No, no, you're... Reset Thrive, I'm not doing. So. No, you're not doing? All right, I'll cut that out. No. All right. Um, yeah. Welcome back from the break. Uh, Corey, I'd like to quickly talk about um, the AFL nowadays um, and all the different uh, sort of rules and implements and strategies um, that uh, Gillan McLaughlin and his team and Brad Scott, I think it is, and things like that have come up to try and um, make the game a bit more free-flowing like it was um, back in the day? I lost you for a little bit, but I think you're asking me about maybe the state of the game and about the rule changes yep. and things like that. And to make um, the game a bit more free-flowing. I just wish, Max, they would umpire the game like they seem to um, umpire the game on AFL Grand Final Day. Yeah. It yeah. seems like they let it go. I wish they would do it for the entirety of the year. Um, we go through these phases of the early part of the season and we've got some new rule. And I just wish we'd umpire the game like it was on grand final day. Um, just let it go. Unless it's glaringly obvious, then that's the only time you pay it. And it's even now, it's probably why I look for to the finals and in particular grand final day because it just seems like we get the purest brand of footy it's not over umpired number one it's not over umpired number two the footy both teams play seems like it's more a congested contested sorry not congested yeah yeah contested <laughs> brand of footy um that is again all the foot that's the footy we want to see and it seems like they'll, they'll kick the ball a little bit longer they don't muck around with the ball that's the type of game that I think we all want to see. Um, so what, do you, what are your thoughts um, on the topic and subject of sort of a mid-season trade week um, or the mid-season draft? Oh, look, I, I think if they can facilitate it properly, I think it would be amazing. Um, again, it's going to be, it'd be interesting to see the way you can do it. It's either going to give teams that are well and truly in the premiership window um players actually maybe going over to a club mid-year mm -hmm. like that could mm -hmm. that could actually happen so everyone would want to prepare themselves 
my first thought is if you can do it and there's teams that need to find a player that's not getting a game, it's excellent from that point of view. Like, like I love I love that side of it. But again, I'm not so sure about the other side of it. As, as we've seen with teams that are maybe chasing a premiership, if a player gets an inkling that there's a, there's a team that's in the window, we've also got to prepare our, our, ourselves for that side of it as well. So... Um, but I think look, over, over, my overriding thing is it could be a positive thing. I think it opens up opportunities for players that are not getting chances at their own clubs. Um, we saw the AFLX um, sort of full team. I think it might have been competition, um, sort of modified AFL game um, over the last, over, I guess, the sort of three, two, three years before COVID. Um, what did you think of that? Yeah, not for me, Max. It's, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it wasn't, I don't know what you think. I think all the gimmicks and I don't know whether you've seen in the NFL, it's probably, uh, there was there was particular games in the NFL where you could actually watch the Nickelodeon cast and uh, I know it might have been good for the kids to watch. But, yeah, um, yeah. It wasn't that, it wasn't that to... of an entertaining game, was it? I think, um, look, I, I would think there's better things we can invest in the game than, than doing AFLX. I think there's a lot of, There'll be a lot of local teams around Australia that that sort of money, instead of going for a gimmick and getting players to play, and I think it'd be much better served that we can invest that game into a lot of grassroots footy. And I know even here in Queensland, footy in Queensland is very, very strong and a lot stronger than what people think. Um, or a lot of people in Victoria wouldn't know the strength of you know, I mean, yeah. how popular yeah. footy is in Queensland. Um, Cora, I'd like to sort of finish on what is your best advice um, to anyone who wants to be a football player and win premierships and be successful like yourself? Oh, look, I think it's maybe come through a little bit in the interview, Max, of what we're talking about. I think if you're relentless in your preparation, um, you're just doing the volume of work of what if everyone says to do... I don't know, a certain level of work, go and do way extra over and above. And then that will give you just a chance of being successful. Um, and I think, you know what, even for me, it's being retired has always, um, has always sat really comfortable with me just because I know I gave it my best shot. And I think it's no different to the preparation it seems like you do for your interviews. You know that afterwards, that if you've done all the all it all flows like what we're doing now, yeah. you come yeah. away from it and you go, you know what? Did I give it my best shot? Yeah, I did. Whether yeah. it's me, yeah. you talking to Eddie McGuire or anyone, yeah. <laughs> if you do your preparation, it comes across in how it flows, and that's no different to giving yourself the best opportunity in sport or in life or school or work. That yeah, if you want to be average, just do what everyone else does. But if you want to be extra special. Do what everyone else does, but then find out all the all the extras you can do. And I I just know from experience it, it well and truly pays off. All right, thanks, Corey, so much for coming on the show today. I'm um, putting aside you know 50 or so to an hour um, or so minutes of your time to come and have a chat. It's been a pleasure to have you on. That's all right, Maxie. It's good to finally talk. We finally got there in the end, didn't we? Yeah, we got there. <laughs> all right, thanks, Corey. See you soon. See you, mate. Bye. This is Sporting Max with Max Becker on SEM.